Welcome to Regulars Anonymous. With host, Zachary Landry. Sitting down with the people who are standing in line behind you at the grocery store. And hearing what they have to say. If I go off on the Edmonton Commission, I will get in trouble with them. Oh, okay. They, the, we had a smoker controlled contacts, extra safety rules, extra safety gloves. You know, let's try to grow this sport. We put out a poster that someone in my gym designed using some, I don't know, Street Fighter or Tekken character as the model. It's this anime looking poster. They saw that poster and thought that it looked, in their words, like a too professional to not be a professional fight card. I've never seen a professional fight card with a friggin' anime character on the poster. So they call the police. The police contact me. The commission contacts me. I'm interviewed by the police for an hour and a half on how much are we paying these athletes. Nothing. They're, they're paying me. Well, where are those funds going? To me. Because <laughs> I'm hosting the event. They're, I'm going to buy medals. Oh, so they are, they are being compensated. <laughs> they're getting $2.50 medals. Yeah, they're being compensated. And... All this sort of stuff. Um, what sort of safety rules? Well, everyone has to hand in blood work. Well, why do they have to hand in blood work? In case they bleed from getting punched in the face and they have a, you know, to make sure they don't have a bloodborne pathogen. Oh, that's a very good idea. The, this is the police officer. Oh, that, I, mm. oh, it seems like you've thought about this. I go, I'm being interviewed by some guy who's not involved in combat sports at all. I'm trying to make sure that I'm taking safety precautions. Like I, I understand it, but it was so frustrating when the commission's not operating and they haven't been operating for two to three years now. So there's no fight. Uh, the UFC wanted to come to Edmonton. One championship wanted to come to Edmonton. I want people to know this, so then they maybe put pressure on them. And the Edmonton commission couldn't get it together enough to have the two biggest fight promoters in the world come to Rogers. Now, I understand they're dealing with a very serious lawsuit, but the chain, like, they got themselves in that problem. We all knew it was a problem. The Edmonton Commission was poorly ran before that. The guys were taking tape and making braided rope knuckle dusters under their gloves and no one's inspecting. We all knew that was happening. We all knew that no one was checking people's records. No one was making sure that people hadn't been knocked out the weekend before when they were fighting again. So they did that to themselves. It could have been a quick, easy fix. No, it's the same people on the commission doing the same stuff. They're just not doing it. Um, they put out an open uh, you could an open application for positions. Um, if you're involved in the sport or the gym, they don't want you. They want people already currently involved in government. So they're going to rewrite the rules of the commission themselves. I don't know who they're bringing in. They're not bringing in any coaches or fighters or people that know the sport hopefully they're bringing in some of the referees maybe some people from other commissions but it's just such a um it's such a joke the the commission in lethbridge the best commission i've ever worked with and they have a general meeting where they bring in fighters and coaches and ask them what do you want us to do what would make the sport better for you guys edmonton's never done something like that never will we'll see if they even operate why it doesn't sound like they could operate without doing that. I, Even if you look at an apprenticeship program, you have to talk to mechanics. You have to talk to the guys in the field. You have to talk to the people that, who are actually actively doing what it is that you're trying to tell them that they can do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the most frustrating pieces of bureaucracy I've ever come up against. It's maddening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I oh I've got I've got nothing good to say about <laughs> most commissions. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. The the Penhold Commission, shout out to them, the Lethbridge Commission, the Calgary Commission, I haven't had any issues. I just I don't know, I paid commission fees for years as a coach. Where do those fees go? We don't even have a commission. Like So how was the day with your parents? Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Went to um Oh, I don't remember the name. Went to the park down by the uh, 
the legislature grounds down by Jasper and just walked the River Valley with them. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Anything going on down there or just out for the walk? Yeah, just out for the walk. Nice. Yeah. Dad's a photographer, so stops and takes pictures of all the trees and all the flowers, and it was nice. That's yeah. awesome. How yeah. long has he been doing that? Oh, years, years. Yeah, I don't know. He teaches now. He teaches uh, courses on photography and oh, yeah, pays for his hobby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is that kind of, did you, that, is that where you learned how to pay for your hobby per se? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I know he's, he started paying for it after me. So yeah, maybe I taught him. Yeah. Sweet. So what age did you get into fighting? Um, I started 13 years old, mm-hmm. started, there was only two choices in like my town. It was a small town. So it was karate or taekwondo. Cool. What town did you grow up in? Uh, Sundry, Alberta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so two or 3,000 people and did karate when I think I was 13, 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. I was dating a chick who lived out in Spruce View for a little bit. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. So karate or taekwondo were your mm-hmm. options? Mm-hmm. And what did you go with? I went with karate. <laughs> My dad told me to go with karate. I'm that age. I I just wanted to do, I wanted to do Jeet Kune Do because I was a Bruce Lee fan. Mm-hmm. That's not an option. Nope. <laughs> so he said, uh, yeah. He knew some people that did karate, and so that was our only way in, and away we went. Cool. Yeah. So how long did you do karate in Sundry for? Uh, four years, so I guess until I graduated, mm-hmm. and then moved to Edmonton for university. Started doing Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestled at the U for one season. Yeah. Cool. And what did you go to university for? Uh, I've got a phys ed degree. Oh, okay. Yeah, sport performance <laughs> coaching. Yeah, with, yeah, with the hat. Yeah. All right. So initially, so both your parents are teachers, right? Yep. All right. So was that kind did they push you towards uh, like becoming a teacher as well? No. So my, my degree actually doesn't let me teach in a school. Oh, okay. So I would have to go and get an education degree after that. So I was kind of, I went to university under the guise of trying to get into sport psychology. Mm-hmm. And I took one sports psychology class and didn't do very well. I never really wanted to do that. I wanted to coach MMA, but it's hard to get parents and other people behind that. Yeah. So it was all just a big sham until I could graduate and open up a gym. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, and that's what we did. Hey, man, well, it sounds like you had a pretty clear vision from a, how old were you when you decided you wanted to coach MMA? Um... I knew I wanted to be professional in MMA, like when I was 13, like when I started, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. And then that switched to coaching, I want to say I was 19 or 20. Uh, I took a series of concussions back to back to back, uh, kind of dealt with post-concussion syndrome. And then I uh, started looking at, it's like, well, I can be a coach. Started looking at some of the great coaches and they didn't have big fight careers. They didn't have long fight careers. They were barely pro Maybe I'll just coach. Mm-hmm. Started going there. Okay. Well, let's kind of start in the beginning and, and work through your, your MMA career a bit. Uh, when were your first amateur fights? Never. Never? Oh. Yeah, never had one. So just pro and like, what were you doing MMA fights or kickboxing? No. So, no? so here's the thing. I am a, I am a purist coach. Okay. I've never fought. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I've competed. So I've, I've had Muay Thai smokers. So they don't count as a fight. Mm-hmm. It's full contact. You have 16 ounce gloves. I've had Muay Thai smokers. I've competed in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, in wrestling, in point karate. Mm-hmm. I've never had an MMA fight. Before before I ever got going on that, I took those uh, those concussions. Yeah. And that basically, you know, when you started, when you have those concussions at 19, you're not even getting started. So yeah. that put me out for, I didn't spar for five, six years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what were, what happened that you got the concussions? Just knockouts or just kicked? bad, bad training practices. Um, the old gym, like the old coach that we had, uh, encouraged guys to knock each other out in practice. You'd hurt, you know, guys would get, guys would get hurt and he'd start calling you on and telling you to get on the guy. Um, so I took a I took a head kick, um, and that was kind of the first bad one. Saw a doctor. The doctor said, I really don't think you had a concussion. You don't have any symptoms. You weren't knocked out. I think you're okay. I went back two weeks later and got hit hard again. 
And uh, my friend picked me up. I, like, I didn't know where I was. I couldn't talk to him. Couldn't get home. So that one was pretty bad. Yeah. And then definitely saw post-concussion stuff after that. Yeah. So you said five to six months before you sparred again. Oh, for like five years. Oh, five years. Sorry, yeah. my mistake. I would, I would try sparring. Mm-hmm. And I'd get hit and instant like weird pain like pain in my head uh like white flashes you know even just demoing technique somebody would hit me in the head and i'd feel dizzy yeah so that went on for a little while yeah cool and how'd you get over or past that point um it just started feeling better Mm -hmm. it kind of like physically i think i I was young enough your, your brain can heal they say until 21, 23 for men. Mm-hmm. So I'm young enough that the damage could heal if I took time off and I rested and I did all that. Um, I think getting over some of the post-concussion was helped with uh, uh, psychoactive drugs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had I, I took one mushroom dose the once. It was the worst time of my life. It was horrible. But I came out of that... Um, without any of those issues I'd had. Uh, like I, I was wanting to drop out of university. I didn't want to, I was living with two of my best friends. I didn't want to live with them anymore. I couldn't stand them. Mm-hmm. Came out of that trip, no problem. I was happy again. I felt good. I was happy to go back to school and finish. Yeah. And was that the first one and only time you've ever done the psychedelics? Yeah, I never wanted to do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was so bad that that... I never wanted to touch him again. Yeah. yeah. But it cleared up whatever yep. was going on there. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. And so from that point, after that, what, like, what point did you do those in your uh, recovery time in that five, six-year period? Mm, that would have been, I'm trying to think, almost a year and a half after. Okay. Yeah. I don't really remember. I know it was, it was, over, it was a, over a year after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then five to six years off sparring. And at what point did you open up your gym and get into coaching full time? We opened, I was 23. So a couple of years after the bad concussions, mm-hmm. we opened when I was 23. And yeah, I, I'd been coaching full time a year and a half before that at another gym. Okay. So. Cool. So how long have you been coaching now then? Just because I don't know how old you are, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not, not going to try yeah. to do the math. Thirty, I'm 31, so I started I started full time coaching when I was 21, almost 22, so nine years, almost yeah. 10 years now. Yeah. yeah, awesome. And what what have you found that that drew you initially to coaching over uh, seeking out the or like the MMA career? Mm, I guess. Um, it started off as I felt I can either coach or I can like leave the sport because mm-hmm. I can't fight. You know, I can't, I can't even spar. So either I coach and stay in the sport or I give it up. So almost out of necessity. Right. And then I, I kind of found out, I, th- I think I'm better suited to coaching. I'm not that athletic. I'm not that naturally tough. Like I'm not very durable. You know, I'm not, I'm not like your brother, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming in and taking hits and walking through them. I'm pretty good at uh, communicating. I'm pretty good at thinking about martial arts. So it turned out I was a better coach than I was athlete mm-hmm. anyways. More, so then, would you say, like the science behind it? Or, or? Yeah, like I, I, love, I love talking strategy. Mm-hmm. I almost like doing that more than I like training. <laughs> so then it makes it easy. I'll sit and talk strategy all day. I don't really want to go put in the three hours of work that I would have to do to be a professional athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Put the ideas behind it. You're down for. Yeah. Cool. So I guess in, in that, in the strategy sense is what's your life like outside of the gym? Do you, are you like a strategy game kind of guy or anything or is it all, or do you just work and go to the gym? (laughs) Do you you have hobbies outside of this? (laughs) I do. Yeah. Um, I I play I like strategy board games. I play uh, I play Twilight Imperium is the big one. Okay. So we, that's eight to nine hour board game. You know I I like the depth. I like that intricacy. Um, 
And my other hobbies are pretty average. I play guitar, I garden, mm-hmm. I cross country ski. You know, it's not all it's not all strategy all the time. But I like that. You know, it's um I kind of like separating it. MMA is a pretty serious thing. I'm at work. It's a pretty uh, it's like if we're not doing well, I'm thinking about it and it's eating at me. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have hobbies that I don't care about sometimes. Yeah, you you can forget about everything yeah. else. Yeah. Disconnect from it a bit. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So from a coach's perspective, I guess you're looking to get the most out of your fighters and kind of get them ready for a career. Is that where you're at with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Every, everything in the gym... I think is built to produce professional fighters from the ground up, right? That's, that's the goal. That's the, that's what we're striving to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously most of our members will never make that. Most of our members don't want to ever make that, but all the infrastructure, the class schedule, the culture, we try to do it to build up professional fighters. Mm -hmm. And how many pros have you put through or built up? We had four have hit pro. Okay. So not many. No. To get through amateur to pro is not many. I wouldn't imagine, like you said, most people showing up. It would be like anything else, right? There's going to be the the outliers uh, of the situation or people who are there specifically for that. Yeah. Maybe someone might stumble into it who just a little more naturally inclined at the right time in their life. But other than that, how do you find, how do you pick those people out? Is it, Specifically, people wanting to do it. Yeah, it's um, it's almost up to them. Mm-hmm. The schedule's there, the practice is there. If they can show up and be successful in that, then they'll just keep being successful. You know, it's uh, there's no secret formula to when you're ready to fight. Are you athletic? Are you picking up the skill set? Are you sparring enough so that you've got the experience to do it? Well, then you can fight. And then we just keep building that. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, part of them, you got to you gotta find athletes, but I'm not out canvassing the neighborhoods. So if they come in and they're athletic and they want to fight and they're training four or five days a week, it's just going to happen. Fair. Yeah. All right. So when you started your gym, what... Uh how long did it take before you, you like from a business perspective that it really got up and running? Um, like, was it hard to initially get people in the door? Yeah, I would like when our first opening day, I think we had 20 people total and some of them had come from a gym that we were working at previously. I would say we were at, we were at that first location for three years um, pretty meager, pretty modest. We upgraded to a facility almost double the size. Um, still pretty small membership base. It was still nothing fancy. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So it's really been, it's been the last two years since the COVID lockdowns ended that we've blown up. Okay. So it was, it was pretty slow going. And then it seems like it's been going ex- exponentially ever since. COVID lockdowns finished and we are all, well, we're over double our membership than that we were before COVID. Because anytime that I've been in there, it seems like it's pretty hard to find a spot on the mat. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Cool. So what would, what do you think happened there? People got tired of sitting around for two years and. Yep. I think there was a buildup of people that those people probably would have trickled in mm-hmm. throughout those two years of COVID lockdowns. Okay. They all came at once. Um, some other gyms that would have been competing with us didn't make it through. So suddenly we have a monopoly on South Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and I do think growth is like that. You know, it's most of uh, most of MMA gym success is word of mouth or Google. So as more people are searching you, as more people are talking about you, rating you, it will grow exponentially very quickly. Mm-hmm. If you've only got 20 members when you start, it's going to take a long time for that to snowball. Cool. But you made it through COVID. No problem. Well, we made it through. (laughs) Yeah. Not no problem. We made it through. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So 
just to shift a little bit, what what some of the challenges that you faced as a, a business owner in that sense during that time frame? Um, that was a really rough two years. Like that sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, your your lease doesn't stop, so you're told your business is closed. You can't make any income. We got no lease relief. Um, all the grants that were given out, the landlord had to uh, sign off. They on had them. to sign off, and they had to take a hit themselves. Yeah, ours said no. So you're still paying full lease, and you got to pay yourself. You know, my business partner has a family; he's got children, so you can't just take no income. Mm-hmm. Um, we only qualified for two months of CERB. So very quickly, your bank account is dwindling. Yeah. If you weren't a if you weren't a business that had a big savings account, like I don't know how you made it through unless unless you took on huge debt. Yeah. So that like money was a huge factor, and then we were constantly saying like, if we get through this, are we going to get all of our members back? Because we had forty members pay us just out of the goodness of their hearts through all those lockdowns. They just kept paying to try to give us something. Wow. They wanted a gym when they when it was all over, but. You know, you again, you've you've built a gym to support 150 people, and you're down to 40 when you reopen. Are those 100 people going to come back instantly, or are you still going to have more months after you open to rebuild all that? Because as soon as you're open again, you're paying all that lease all the same. So yeah, cool. But it was pretty pretty instant afterwards that yeah kind of blew up. Yeah, which must have been a huge relief. Yep, nice. Yeah, we had we had people contacting us while we were closed, asking if they could come in. You'd have to say like, "Well, we're closed," and we said, "Well, we they we know that you're closed," and then <laughs> you could tell in their voice. But can we still come in? You'd have to say, "No, <laughs> I, I I'm legally not allowed to let you in." And they go, "I know that yeah. you're not allowed to." Yeah. So people were chomping at the bit to get in. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Now that you've you're back in it, how many guys are you training for fights specifically? for a fight career um out of your what would you say would you say you're up to 150 people in the gym now uh we're about we're over 350 now oh, okay yeah so out of that 350 how many are you guys training for uh, a professional fight career um i, I kind of look at it in in tiers okay um you have your most experienced guys you know there's only a handful of them um the guys who are ready for amateur fights and ready to go, they're actively fighting right now. I'd say there's 12. And then there's kind of a whole bunch of guys underneath them that are, they've done smokers, they're doing smokers, they're doing tournaments. They'll be ready for their first fight kind of whenever we can book it. You know, there's like another 12 of those guys. Um, So it just kind of keeps trickling down. So I would say, I would say we're at around... 2025 20, guys that are either fighting right now or about to be taking their first fight. Cool. Yeah. And how many uh, are pro and versus amateur? Well, I'd say that that first, well, that second tier, they'd all be amateur. Anyone who hasn't had a fight yet. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But how many pro fighters do you have? Not many. No. Um, what do we at? Three, three pro. And then, You've got three guys that are kind of ready to go pro. Mm-hmm. They'll they just have to decide if they want their next fight to be pro or the one after that. Mm-hmm. So, and what's that process like going from an amateur fighter to a pro fighter? Um, just because we uh, like we were at the fights in Red Deer mm-hmm. and my friends were there and that they're asking kind of how who decides what's going on here? Do you have to win mm-hmm. nonstop? What's so legally you have to have two amateur fights and then you can go pro. No, that's the minimum. That's the minimum. So the commissions will put that, they've kind of put that rule in across the province where two fights, uh, you have two amateur fights, then you can choose to go pro if you want to. And does that carry nationally as well then? No. So even, even saying they've put that in provincially isn't, uh, they've just all done that individually. Mm-hmm. So every, every city, almost every municipality kind of has their own like combative sports commission. 
and they've just all done some unified things without trying to. They've all just followed some of the same guidelines. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, nationally, there's no um, unified thing. Even provincially, some of the rules are totally different. City to city, the rules are different. Uh, municipalities, all that stuff. Um, so that's legally. And then I guess the rest is kind of up to the coach and the athlete. I Now that there is an amateur scene, like not many years ago, there was no amateurs. So now that there is one, it's nice to rack up experience. It's still not set up like boxing or kickboxing where you could have, you know, boxing, you could have 50 amateur fights and that's fine. Muay Thai, kickboxing, you could have 20, 25 amateur fights. MMA, you're going to start having a hard time around 10. So most guys will still have five, six amateur fights and then go pro. And then for me as a coach, it's just, how do you look? Are you going out and do you go 5-0 and oh as an amateur and you smash everyone and you look like a pro? Well, then we can go pro. If I look at the fights and go, oh, you're winning or you're 50-50 or you're losing, but it still looks amateurish, it looks like there's obviously things to work on, then keep having amateur fights. Yeah. Because once you go pro, you're amateur, it, nothing you've done in your amateur record affects your pro record, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you would want to kind of rack up as much experience as you could yep. in the amateur division. And then just saying that most guys would turn pro by their 10th fight or in that range, is that just because the pool kind of dwindles down? And Yeah, pretty soon you just won't have opponents that will take fights. Mm-hmm. You know, most guys don't make it past three, four amateur fights. So if you're, if you're, look, if you're successful and you're having a good amateur career, it'll be very hard to find someone that will fight you because they've had two fights, mm-hmm. so that's not very fair. Okay, I think just be for, on that pure experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm thinking. Don't yeah. worry, we can edit <laughs> stuff too. Yeah, it's it's more it's more important now to. Um, there was a like it. It kind of depends. There was a time when you could have 30 professional fights and go 20 and 10 and still make the UFC. Mm-hmm. The UFC is way quicker. Well, all the higher leagues are way quicker to sign guys that are 6-0, and 7-0. and So it's better to do all that in the amateurs and then go undefeated very quickly in the pros, and you can still make it to the high level. Mm-hmm. And it just gets you in there quicker instead of coming and slogging it out for 10 years as a pro. Come in, hit the ground running. Get six wins, get seven wins. Build up the there. momentum. Yeah, you're there. Yeah. Easy. Like with anything else, it's all momentum-based. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get your sales up, catch the wind. Yeah. So UFC is the highest caliber, right? Yeah. Yeah. What would be like a the tier below that? Is is like a promotion? Is there a specific yeah, promotion um, underneath that? <laughs> or like, do they have a, a place where they farm guys from? They've got a few uh, farm leagues, you know, unofficial farm leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, it's Unified MMA. So Unified here out of Edmonton. It's out of Edmonton. Yeah. Okay. That's the biggest promotion in Canada. Uh, under that or next to that, maybe you'd say BFL out of Vancouver. And then in the States, uh, there's LFA. And XFC, so those are those are two big ones in the states that'll take they'll take a lot of guys out of LFA. Um, over in the UK, you've got Cage Warriors, that's a pretty big one they'll take guys from. Mm-hmm. And then you know there can you know you've got one FC or one championship now. Over in Asia, yep. but they're they're kind of the UFC equivalent. I would say you've got PFL and Bellator as. They're definitely under the UFC, but they don't take many guys from there. They're kind of their own thing. They pay their guys very well, mm-hmm. but the talent pool is definitely somewhere in between a unified and a and a UFC. Fair, because they're almost more competitors with uh, yeah. UFC, right? Yeah, yeah. Is Pride Pride still a big one? Was that that was Asian based, wasn't it? No, the UFC bought them out oh, a long time ago now. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember when, but that was, I'd want to say, over a decade ago. Oh, okay. So yeah. That's it. I just remember watching bootlegs as yep. a kid. Yep. You know, Don Fry and, mm-hmm. oh, I can't remember that, guy, that guy's name, just smashing each other's mm-hmm. face in. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, what What do you think is 
the mental difference between people who just kind of spectate the sport versus who, those who want to participate in it? Hmm. That that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think, um, I think probably most of the people that come into my gym that are young men so that they're young enough that they could compete in MMA. I think they come in hoping to, maybe not expecting to, but they come in thinking I, there's a chance I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And they just find out that it's harder than they thought and they're not as good at it, so they don't. I think most young male MMA guys, if you're a fan, you either know that you can't do it or you think you can. And you're and, wrong. Right? If you come to the gym and it turns out you're wrong and that's fine, you'll just stay a fan. Yeah. But I I'm not sure what would uh, what would be the difference. I've I've never understood why people watch sports so avidly without passionately. Per- right? Without participating. I just I don't I don't get it. I've never engaged in sport fandom. Yeah. If if I'm not competing directly in it, I don't understand the drive to watch it like that. Cuz it's it's bizarre being in Edmonton now and anytime the Oilers make the playoffs, just seeing how like the city, the whole city changes Mm -hmm. it just like rolls over into a new season, which Mm -hmm. is Oiler playoff season. And everyone's wearing the same clothes, Mm -hmm. talking about the same shit. And the only other place that I ever saw like that sort of passion for watching sports was my mom yelling at us as kids, like from the stands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. my, uh, my dad is a rough rider fan. So I grew up like I, I grew up very close to that, you know, yelling at the TV and watching all the trades and calling his brother because he's got to complain about how the game did to somebody. And I just, I didn't, it didn't get passed on to me. No. No, I I fell in love with the sport and I want to do it. I don't want to just watch it. I'd rather, I'd way rather participate. Yeah. Yeah. And, And was your dad a fighter at all? No. Was your mother? No, 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 they were not against, well, that, they were against it. They're for it now, but they were definitely against it. They didn't understand it. No. Yeah. So where did you get into it then? Um, I always say there was a, there was a perfect storm happened. Um, my brother-in-law, he was just dating my sister at the time, but he took me to watch Chuck Liddell versus Babalu Soberall 2. So I saw my first UFC pay-per-view. Uh, that same month, the Fight Network hit satellite TV. So we got a free month of the Fight Network, and I watched Remy Boniowski win, I don't remember now, the 2004 Grand Prix. And I watched Ong Bak. I rented Ong Bak and watched it. So all that happened in about the span of a month or two, and that was kind of it. it Ong Bak was a martial arts movie, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yeah, the first big movie to showcase Muay Thai. Yeah. So that all just hit me at a very pivotal age at 12 or 13, your, your brain's developing. So <laughs> very much imprinted itself on yep. you. That's cool. And now you're here. Mm-hmm. Got your own gym training mm-hmm. guys up. Yep. Been rewarding, rewarding so far. Hugely. Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. Um, I never say my job's fun. I don't, I don't actually find my job that fun. It's very fulfilling. You know, it's, uh, Going to a fight isn't something... When you win, it's awesome. But the event itself isn't fun. It's very high stress. I lose my voice yelling in a 15-minute fight. The preparation is brutal on guys. And you... You know, I'm not the one cutting weight. But you still got to sit there and tell someone that they can't get out of the hot tub, that they can't eat the food, they can't drink water. So it's not a fun time all around. Mm -hmm. But it's very rewarding. So when fighters are prepping or going through a camp for a fight what does your side of things look like um a lot of it's management so we have um we have our fight schedule laid out so how many sessions uh per week are you doing what are those what are those sessions what's the intensity of those sessions Uh, i have all that laid out beforehand and then it's kind of up to me and the other coach what are the details, what are the technical skills we're looking to build within those technical sessions? Um, 
nutrition guidance is a huge one when guys are starting out their first couple fights. They've got a lot of questions. You have to, they've never done it. You got to give them that stuff. Weight cutting is all new to everyone. So you've got to take them through that. Um, I like to hold pads. If guys, if guys have the time to come in and hold pads, I like at least one to two sessions a week just with me hitting pads. Um, and then after that, it's just management. Looking at them, some guys will overtrain and they start to perform worse and worse and you have to go to them and f- convince them to train less for a little bit. Are they sleeping enough? Are they losing the weight correctly? You're constantly, you're constantly supervising an adult through something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of full-time babysitter. It feels like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Most, it, most of my team is good, but I was just going to say, do you ever, ever have guys fucking off and kind of shit in the bed when it comes to the prep stuff? Yep. Um, we, in hindsight, there were, there were guys that we should have pulled. We're looking, they're not training enough. We know that they're not performing the way they should. They're not in shape. We should pull them, but it's, it's brutal to pull someone, especially at amateur. Cause it doesn't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had guys miss weight and you know that they're going to miss weight, but it's, do you call someone a liar when you ask them how much they weigh and they tell you? Well, especially you know, if you're going to be found out anyways. Like scale is not going to lie. Right. Are, are your approximations of your caloric intake accurate? Are your estimations of your weight accurate that you're telling me? You don't always know. So sometimes you let it, you know, you let guys figure it out and oh, you missed by two pounds, one and a half pounds, no big deal. Next time, I now I know that your estimations aren't good mm-hmm. and you know that too. So next one will be better. Yep. And what's the biggest issue if someone doesn't make weight in a fight scenario? Uh, that the fight doesn't happen. Oh, okay. So if you miss weight, uh, the opponent, like the contract is uh, void then, right? In the contract, you agree to weigh a certain amount. So then your opponent has fair grounds to say no fight. So that's that's the worst thing that can happen. Uh, if you're a professional, they'll take some of your purse. The guys are fighting for almost nothing, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lose five hundred bucks, that sucks. That's not catastrophic. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really those are the two things. Um, there's talk about bringing in some rules where they might take a point um, if you miss weight by three pounds or more which I'm a fan of because um, especially in amateur right now, there's no repercussions. You can miss weight. Your opponent says yes because they've trained for six weeks too. They don't want to say no just because you're three pounds heavy. So they're pressured to take the fight. The promoter pressures them. We as the opponents are pressuring them. They take the fight. They're at a disadvantage. They lose. What'd they get out of that? Um, I like the idea of you miss weight by three pounds. You lose a point. Now the guy who's taking all the risk, fighting a heavier opponent, fighting someone that didn't make weight, they've got a better chance of winning that fight, which is good for them. Yep. Yeah. Incentive to go yeah. on with it. Yeah. Because I noticed in Red Deer, they kind of had that title fight halfway through the show. Mm-hmm. And you probably weren't paying, you were probably paying attention to everything else mm-hmm. going, getting ready for uh, what was going on backstage. But yeah, one of them didn't, uh, meet the the weight, yeah. and then I think he ended up winning, but they didn't. He didn't get the title because yep. of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he he was a last minute replacement. So some of those guys that have to take a fight on ten days notice, fourteen days notice, sort of thing. It's one of those if they if those guys miss weight, the community kind of says no no foul. Yeah. You know, you tried your best, you made the fight happen. But yeah, if you miss weight for a title fight, the opponent can win the title, but you can't. If if you're the reigning champ. Uh, yeah, so that like that was a vacant championship. Oh, okay. So if the if the guy who lost had won, he would have got the belt. But then that one guy just automatically cannot win the belt. So he can go and participate. Yep. Yep. Go and have a five round fight experience and go through it, but no vinyl belt after. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that 
the different uh, communities or different places basically have different rule sets. What's what are if you don't mind giving just a quick rundown of like difference between Edmonton and Calgary, say. Um. So, right now Edmonton doesn't have an active commission. There's they're dealing with some lawsuit issues. They're dealing with some internal issues. Uh, so the commission, all the fights that we say happen in Edmonton actually happen in Enoch. So they actually happen um, outside the city limits. Mm-hmm. And the Central Combative Commission handles them. So their rules, they have a tiered amateur system. So your first few fights, um, you're in bigger gloves. So you're in six-ounce puffy gloves um, with more padding over the knuckles. Um, There's no ground and pound to the head allowed. There's no kicks to the head allowed. There's no knees to the head allowed. Um, And there's no elbows, period. Um, as far as grappling goes, there's no heel hooks, there's no twisting leg locks, there's no spine locks. Um, all your kind of safety issues there. And then after two fights, you can apply for advanced amateur. So you and your opponent have to agree on that if you've both had two fights. And then they'll open up kicks to the head and ground and pound. So you have a couple fights to ease your way in. And then you can start adding rules as you go. Um, once you get to pro, then elbows go and ground and pound and kicks to the head and all your submissions and knees to the head. Um, so there's a little bit of an easing in process. Um, in Calgary, you're allowed more. So your gloves are still six ounce, but the padding is distributed more equally. So it's not just over the knuckles. So I don't really understand the point of it. You've got a heavier glove, but there is an extra padding covering the dangerous part. Um, your, the submission rules are the same, I believe. Um, you're allowed kicks to the head and you're allowed ground and pound on the, to the head. Oh, okay. Still no elbows to the head or period, still no knees to the head. But I like those rules. Um, the ground and pound to the head is just such a factor in MMA. It, I, I like, I understand the idea of easing guys in, but the sport's also at a place now where Coaches and teams are taking care of that in the training room. Um, it's not like we're all sitting there surprised. The guys aren't hopping in so new that they're surprised when they get punched in the head. <laughs> we're building that up. You know, no knees to the head, no elbows to the head, no heel hooks. Like, I understand that. Um, no spine locks. You don't want someone to break their neck as an amateur. But ground and pound to the head, I, I wouldn't mind it if the referee said, we'll stop the fights quicker. I'm for that, but the yeah that's that's the big difference between the commissions is whether they allow ground and pound uh, on the ground to the head and whether they um what their gloves look like yeah because in some of those amateur fights as soon as it goes to the ground it basically just becomes a jujitsu match that's it it's just jujitsu with big gloves on your hand that make it really hard to submit someone yeah gives so, it- <laughs> so now we're not even really playing jujitsu because I can't punch you. And I can't put my hand underneath your throat. And you have something to pull on and, and you, hold on to. You have something to hold on to and grip to fight the choke. Yep. Cool. 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 So, and then in professional ground pound, everything's good to go. Yeah. There's just no low blows, no eye gouging. Yep. <laughs> that that no headbutts. Yep. That's it. Oh, headbutting's not allowed, eh? No. I guess no. No, they took. When did they take that out? That was allowed in the UFC for a while was allowed in pride for a while too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about shoulders? You can shoulder someone shoulder. All good. Yeah. Yeah. Even an amateur, you can shoulder. One of the big things we're trying to do. Um, now that there's an amateur scene, that's awesome. Um, but there's not, again, there's nothing beneath that. Muay Thai, you've got smokers, um, boxing, you've got smokers and boxing, you've got tournaments. So guys are just, Guys are fighting all the time. They'll have multiple fights in a night. So a lot of experience happening. Um, Even an amateur MMA athlete, if you're having three or four a year, that's pretty active. So it's still hard to get experience and get fights. And some of the, you know, if you're fighting amateur on Unified, that's still a big stage. Like that's hosted on UFC Fight Pass. So there still isn't that grassroots local gymnasium scene like there is in the other combat sports. 
Um, and so we've been hosting smokers. And so hopefully, like as the sport grows, I, that will start to trickle down. We're just starting to see it now where guys will host um, inter-club, not even amateur fights. We've got extra puffy gloves on and shin pads and extra safety rules and just come fill in those gaps and just fight. You know, the, the judges will say who won, but there's no official record after or before and there's no prize. It's just come and get that experience. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see that expand. That that's something that's I mean we just got the amateur scene we shouldn't complain, but hopefully this amateur scene keeps expanding, um, you know vertically and horizontally. Yeah, yeah. Maximum growth. Yeah, yeah. Now, what would you say to people who are interested in getting into it? But what what should they expect if they show up to your gym? Um, it's gonna it's going to feel a lot like any other team sport that they did as a kid. Um, except that it's got a lot more freedom. And I think that's where some people fall off. If you join a hockey team as a kid and they say, we practice four times a week, you're going four times a week. And no one thinks of that as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, my gym is open six days a week. And I tell guys, if you want to fight, you got to be here four to five days a week. Uh, most will show up one, two, maybe three times a week. So it's treat it, you know, if you, if you want to show up and actually get involved in the sport, you've got to take it seriously, especially at the start. It, it takes a, it's a high learning curve, if, especially if you're not very athletically gifted. Um, I think a lot of guys, uh, they underestimate how long it'll take. Like, uh, a very athletic guy can fight in a year if they're training four or five days a week. An unathletic person, longer. You know, two to three, we've got to build up an athletic base that's competitive mm-hmm. and a skill set which will take longer because you're not athletic. And we've got to grow your confidence since you're not athletic and you're unskilled. <laughs> you're going to be losing rounds in the gym over and over. So start running now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And so I think we, we hear that a lot. Guys come in and one of the first things they say is how long can, you know, how quick can I fight? And you say two, one to two years and that that stops some guys right then. You know, it's it's not a pop in and take a fight and who cares sort of thing. It's uh, your health's on the line, your rep's on the line, my rep's on the line. You know, we, we do run the gym as a team. Um, so you don't get to... If you're not showing up and performing and practicing on a football team, they'll cut you. Yep. If you're not showing up and practicing and performing on the MMA team, you don't compete. And so I think that's that's something for people that are interested in fighting. You gotta you gotta keep that in mind. It's gonna take a while. It's gonna be a hard year and a half, two years before you get to do it. Yeah. Can you pick out people who kind of pop in and say it's something like a bucket list thing? And they're just like, I want to do like an MMA fight. Like, sign me up right now. Is it pretty easy to, to spot them? Yeah, most of them will. Most of them will tell you that. Most, <laughs> most yeah, most of them come in very uh, transparent with that sort of thing. Right. Um, and then, as a coach, I, I just don't really engage with it. Um, it's not a bucket list sport to me. Yeah, and it's not a bucket list sport to all of my athletes. Um. If it's, if you say I just want to have one and done competition, some you know some of the some of the guys are a little older, they're closer to forty. Okay, well we have smokers. Come out to the smoker. It's safer. It's more hop in. It's less official. No eyes are on you. You can still compete. You can do jujitsu tournaments. You can do kickboxing matches without stepping in a cage with someone who's looking to start a career. Yeah. So there are avenues for those people. That's it. Still takes. I still won't put someone in that I think is a risk to themselves. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but, you know, like you said, it. Your health is on the line, mm-hmm. and you know that firsthand. Exactly. People, people. I think, especially if you're watching the sport, you get desensitized to the idea of a knockout. People get knocked out all the time. It can be really serious. It can be, you know, some guys pop up and they're fine the next day. Yeah. It can be a really big deal to get kicked in the head. Yeah. And people don't, 
don't consider that sometimes. Yeah, especially if, like you said, getting desensitized to it. If you're watching a full card mm-hmm. and three or four guys get knocked out in the evening, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's just part of it now. Yep. Right, and you watch them get knocked out, and they stand up and walk out, and then you don't think about them ever again, and you don't see them the next day. You don't see them the next week, the next month, when maybe they are having headaches, and maybe they are still depressed and still feeling weird. You don't think about them until the next time they fight. And a lot of the time, a lot of fans probably don't even remember that they were just knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's such a, it just creates this idea that it's not a big deal. And so then people want to come in and uh, you, you, we have guys say all the time, I don't care if I lose. I just want to fight. Well, you should care if you lose. <laughs> you should care a lot if you lose. Yeah. It's not something to be frivolous with. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, th- you find that fight culture has kind of given a a delusional outlook on what it is to be tough and to be competent versus being competent? Um, yeah, I do. I I think it's, I think we're starting to come out of that. Um, I think not that long ago, MMA had a brand of, I don't know how else to say it. Like, like the it was the tap out like douchebag era. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Some of those guys they were they were good fighters, but they appeared more to just be tough dudes. Um, I think we're coming out of that where the modern UFC athlete is more athlete than they are street fighter. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys back in the day were way more street fighter than they were athlete. And as that as that slowly happens, that'll trickle down where the fans will see them more as athletes, less as their buddy that they know can fight at the bar. Yeah. You know, there's no one in the UFC that's like Chris Lieben anymore. You know, those, those days are kind of past. So I think we're coming out of that time where I, I hope the fans are starting to see it more as, um, more as an NFL and an and NHL style athlete. You know, I don't, I don't know anyone that thinks that they can go, into a NFL game and perform. But I've, I've sat with people that fully think that they could step in the cage and fight without ever practicing before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what I was wondering about. Yeah. And it seems to now that the, at least the sport with having so much roots in martial arts that there's a lot more like it. MMA itself is becoming that disciplined like uh, karate or a judo or jujitsu where now that's just kind of the standard where someone like George St. Pierre kind of just had a very focused, uh, non, not over the top, uh, persona per se, but just was dialed into what it was that he wants to do with it and what he was looking to get out of it. Cause it almost seemed like he was doing it for another reason beyond just trying to beat people up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I try to myself, I try to stay away from comparisons to, um, like I don't even really like the term, uh, like martial artist. Mm-hmm. I'm not a martial arts coach. Like to me, I'm a, I'm a combat sports coach. Um, I think, I think some of those guys used that traditional martial arts, uh, culture to bridge that gap. Um, I, I would assume if you hang out with LeBron James, LeBron is weirdly focused on what he wants to do beyond, you know, the, the Nike contracts and beyond the signing bonuses. Like I assume any athlete at that high of level is driven yeah. by some weird part of their brain to just be the best. And I do think that's going to become a, a bigger and bigger part of the sport again, as, as, all those little changes, the the Reebok deal, the Venom deal, as guys start making more money in the UFC, as it's it's on Fox, it's on ESPN, all that stuff makes it more like the other sports, which will attract more and more athletes who will be more focused. They won't just want to beat someone up. They'll be they'll be searching to, you know, kind of fulfill their own things of their own ideas of grandeur and wanting to be the best in those uh those internal motivators. And for you as a coach, what's your internal motivator? 
Um, it's hard to, I've thought about it a lot myself. It's hard to put a finger on it. Um, you know, I think it's tough to say why I like the sport. It's tough to, I think it's really hard if you ask, if you ask someone, why do you love your wife? They'll name some traits that they like about her, but it's hard for them to actually pinpoint what makes, what's different about that than anyone else with those traits. Um, I want, I know, I know that I want to be a high level coach. Like I want to, I want to reach those levels where I'm up there. Um, you know, it, it always sounds arrogant to say like, I want to be the greatest coach ever. That's just such a, it's a hard thing to say, but I want to be up there. Um, and I've always said, I, if someone offered me, if somebody offered me that, if somebody offered me a UFC, uh, title as a coach, Mm -hmm. they say, Hey, you can coach a guy to a UFC title, but you're going to live in a one room apartment and you're going to be broke and you're going to be destitute. No problem. As, as long, as long as I can, as long as I can, as long as my wife can live in the one room apartment (laughs) with me, no problem. You know, that's, that's still just, that's the main driving thing in everything I do at the gym is I want to be, I want to produce someone and see someone and help someone get there. How far away from that goal would you say you are? Oh, I don't know. It feels, it feels far away. Um, You know, we're, we're really close. We're, we're close to putting Craig in a high level. You know, Craig is constantly one, two fights away from a UFC or one championship level contract. And is Craig another coach at the gym? Yeah, Craig, Craig is the, the co-owner of the gym and the, the other head coach. Um, so we're so close with that, um, the young amateurs, it's it's still so early to tell. Um, if they stick with it, there are some that I think could they could get to the UFC. They could get to that highest level. When someone's that young, it's it's kind of up to them. How disciplined are they going to be? How much are they going to forego career and income and family? You know, you're, you're asking someone to give up so much mm-hmm. that it's really hard to predict. I, I could say that we've got some people who could do it if they choose to do it. Whether or not they choose to is, you know, that's all up to them. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like going into a casino and asking someone to put their life mm-hmm. just on the line. Yep. 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 Don't, don't get too involved with anyone because you might want to get married and have children and then you'll need money and then, You'll need a house. And, and that's all just a distraction. Right. And that's, that's it. It's, it's a brutal, you have to invest so heavily in yourself and then you may get nothing. It's not even a small return on your investment. You can get nothing out of it. But, you know, I, I think those people know, they know that they can do it. Um, I, I think they can do it. So it's, if they choose to, awesome. But even that, you know, they can have a, it's still just such a brutal sport. Someone with all that talent, and even if they make all those sacrifices, can tear their ACL tripping on the mats, and that's that. Mm-hmm. That can end it. So it's a rough go. Absolutely. So if anyone wants to sign up for the rough go, where they where can they find yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, what a what a downer of a promo. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's honest though. This is yeah, the reality I, of the situation. I uh, I. It's funny. I can I can get really serious when I talk about MMA. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, yeah, I get, I get going on the sport. I'm I'm really not that serious of a person, but I can get very serious about the sport. Well, even at the <laughs> beginning, uh, like just you, you're an intense person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I have a habit of staring. People uh, they used to call me staring Aaron because I someone I, I don't remember. Somebody told me when I was a little kid that you should look at people's eyes, and that just developed into a bad habit of staring at people. So no, man, it's when good. I talk it comes off as that. Um, uh, so I, I coach at Kingdom MMA. So where where can they find us? Um, Google Kingdom MMA. That's where we are. 
all the Instagram, all that stuff's linked to that. South Edmonton. South Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, right by the right by the uh, Gateway Boulevard Superstore. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. I might see you out there and have no idea who you are.